This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer co-host of the show. Joining me in the virtual studio is co-founder and principal co-host at Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. Pop Health Week engages industry leadership and stakeholder voices spanning payer, provider, patient, vendor, and regulatory communities in population health best practices and strategy. Connect with us via www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter via at GregMastersMPH. And that's Greg with two Gs. On today's episode, our guest is Carolyn Yang, MD, attending physician, home hospital program at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Dr. Yang is interested in the intersection between healthcare policy, business, and innovation. Her academic background is in neuroscience and entrepreneurship and management via Johns Hopkins University with extensive leadership and research experience. Her goal is to ultimately improve patient outcomes and care delivery, reducing costs, and innovate better solutions. And with that brief introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg and Dr. Yang. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to uh, finally get you on the show here. We met at HIMSS. It was an interesting thing as you were doing some stuff around that. So tell us, as I understand it was your first time at HIMSS, what were some of your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think it was really exciting just to see everyone from different industries and, and different stakeholders in the healthcare industry uh, come together and talk about really hot topics and what's new and different challenges and brainstorming, you know, different solutions that are creative and novel. Uh, so that was like a really great forum to see all of that, to witness all of that, and to talk to everybody who is in that space that I typically don't get to interface with on a regular basis. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was, a, it was very good this year. I really enjoyed the opportunity, one, to get together with people, obviously, and two, to uh, look at some of the new tech and uh, IT, et cetera. But before we get into this really cool topic on taking hospital care and moving things like that into the home, why don't you provide uh, our audience with a little sense of your background? Yeah, so I'm currently a practicing phys- a hospitalist physician at the Brigham. I practice part-time in the traditional hospitalist model where I see patients who are acute level of care in the hospital. But I also work part-time in the Brigham's Home Hospital Program, which is a newer program where we do hospital-level care, but in the home. Uh, And so it's two different environments doing the same type of medical care. And so it's been really exciting to see uh, the common common grounds and also the differences in the way that we deliver uh, acute care. So that's what I do currently. My background and interest is in health tech and innovation, uh, digital health, which has been, been a much more busy space these days in the industry. And so I've been excited to see the different solutions that people are coming up with to make healthcare more affordable, more accessible uh, for all those uh, players who are involved, including patient and provider. So, Caroline, what, what made Brigham decide to sort of go into that direction with home hospital work? Yeah, I mean, I think initially it was an academic curiosity of, you know, we weren't the first to come up with it. Actually, back in 94, uh, Johns Hopkins had a similar idea and began to execute it in practice, albeit a smaller model. And, um, you know, I think what the Brigham was looking for is sort of something innovative, but that was cost effective 
Um, and while you know the finances of it initially may have been more challenging just given reimbursement and such, it was a much more enticing option for patients and providers alike to be able to provide care where the patient is at, more literally. And I find it interesting. I remember when I first mentioned it to you, I said something to the effect, hospital at home. And you said, no, this is home hospital. It's an interesting play on the words. Can you sort of discuss the differences as you see them? Yeah, I mean, I think the technical term for all the programs is referred to as hospital at home. Brigham calls it home hospital. I actually think you could argue both are pretty similar, but the idea of hospital at home is that the, the hospital is existing within the home. And so you kind of envision all of the resources a hospital has just like stuck in the home. But in reality, we've created our own ecosystem of hospital in the home in the sense that the home hospital is actually somewhat different when it comes to the resources and the, and the build of our structure of how we deliver care that's acute level at home. So it's not a mirror, which might be implied by hospital at home, but it's kind of a unique model that does the same thing, but in a different environment. Yeah, Caroline, I think you explained it perfectly. And it really made a lot more sense to me when you did that. This is a different place. It's not a hospital dropping into the home. And I thought that that was really a good way to look at it and probably will help as we try to develop this out further in the future. It is its own unique environment. So when you think about that, and I know there are a lot of places we can go into, there are some studies that have been done, et cetera, that we can talk about, but how do you select, the first thing I would say is how do you select patients for that? Yeah, I think every hospital model is different um, in, in that, you know, the diagnoses that each program is capable of caring for differs based on their staffing, based on, is, you know, differs based on what specialty support they might have to take different diagnoses, uh, differs based on the radius in which they make patients at home um, because it changes the time that it takes to care for somebody in an acute situation. And so, um, all of those factors will change what diagnoses are taking care of at home. But for example, for Brigham, we do it based on a variety of factors, including geography. So we do 10 miles around the hospital um, and any, anybody outside of that wouldn't qualify. We do it based on social situations. So like if someone's homeless, we can't safely care for them at home. Um, if they're in a group home, sometimes that's not an option. So or rehab, there's a lot of different um, environments that a patient might live that is not a good fit. Uh, I like to say not a good fit because who knows in the future, depending on resource changes and other things, there may be room for diagnoses and situations that we don't care for now that we could care for in the future. But for right now, based on the medical piece, um, you know, we care for a lower acuity um, and that makes sense because we are not bedside all the time, but we do monitor them remotely all the time and we have access to them all the time. So that, that facet is um, definitely a pro, but it does, you know, make it so that more acute patients are not as safe in the home hospital model as we have it right now. <laughs> and you talked about this remote patient monitoring. Is there a certain, did you build that system? Are you running it on top of somebody else's platform? What did you use for the remote patient monitoring? Yeah, I think it started out more as a hodgepodge. So we kind of found third party 
applications um, and we did not home grow any remote monitoring or platforms. Um, so the device, the hardware and the software is third party and we contract with them to some degree to you know, make our ecosystem of remote monitoring. So, um, you know, so we, we use different vendors um, and I think that's always in flux and you know, depends on all this new stuff that comes out day by day. Um, we are always reevaluating kind of what tech is the best for our model. Mm-hmm. And I assume you've integrated that into your electronic health record system, et cetera? Uh, that is a goal. There's a lot of different software solutions that do offer that. And so, like I said, we're constantly looking for, you know, big and better, uh, bigger and better solutions um, as we grow ourselves. And so while something may have worked and been feasible when we had a smaller census or a smaller team um, or less complex patients, um, as we grow, I think we are constantly needing to look at what solutions we're using. But ideally, uh, we do integrate, you know, what data comes from those remote monitoring devices and onto the platform that we use and having the data from that platform integrate with the EMR, um, even if it's just unidirectional so that all of the data is in one place. Because I think the biggest challenge with all this tech is that there's just so much data and it's hard to really track down where one piece of data came from to vet its integrity, to make sure that it's securely being transmitted and accurately being transmitted. And um, so there is still redundancy. I think right now, as we transition to different solutions, the redundancy is sort of a fail safe, but at the same time, it does create opportunity for more error. So we're all, it's all things to consider, but I think, yeah, ultimately less solutions more integration, more interoperability is really where we need to head. Mm-hmm. And and I notice you have this team of, of folks on the website that are in this uh, home hospital program, physicians, I think it was like a nurse practitioner or someone at that level. And then you also had EMTs, which I thought was interesting. Is that because these people are at a house, you might have to run out and do something or... Yeah, exactly. And again, like we've changed and grown so much in the past year, as many programs have to keep up with the demand in the full hospitals. And so a lot of um, our model has changed over the past year. So to give a little history, initially, we weren't using EMTs at all. It was me and uh, a nurse. That was, that was pretty much it. And at nighttime, we would have access to EMTs for exactly what you're explaining. Um, in that we, if we had an emergency call, the nurses weren't on during the night um, and we needed extra support or hands-on. Um, we did contract with a third party paramedic team that would go out and sort of see the patient in an acute situation. Then uh, fast forward to our current model, we basically integrate EMTs as an equivalent to our nursing staff. So we see patients on our rounding during the day with both EMTs and nurses. So they're equivalent um, in that regard. And then we still have the nighttime paramedics that go out for emergencies. Um, and now, you know, Brigham has an internal team at Spalding. So now we have Spalding folks who are also taking that role. And it's been challenging, as you know, in the healthcare system the past year and probably beyond, staffing shortages has been a big problem. And so we are not, you know, unique in that we don't have that problem. We very much had to be uh, you know, to improvise and to be creative about how we fulfilled the staffing needs of our team. 
uh, to care for the patients in the census that we, we had, which was growing. And so that's how we've gotten sort of creative in using the paramedics, our nursing team, obviously our MD team has grown as well. Um, so yes, that's our model. We don't have NPs or APPs right now. Um, the MGH team, actually, they have a home hospital team. It's a, it runs very differently, um, but they do utilize APPs. So like I said, every home hospital model is is different um, in the way that they're structured. Have, have you been able to compare between models and see any differences in outcomes, costs, or things like that? So I've looked at a lot of data from different groups like Johns Hopkins, and they've done a lot of meta-analyses and stuff like that across uh, different programs. Again, the data was pretty sparse before 2020 because, you know, as we started the pandemic, and I started before the pandemic, um, there were a handful of programs that were running at it you know, um, at a census that was sort of sustainable. And then as the waiver from CMS came out to reimburse inpatient care the same as home hospital inpatient care, then you saw this huge growth of different home hospital programs. So now we're over 200. Um, just in like 18 months, we went from, you know, under 10 to over 200 uh, hospitals or programs in the model um, of home hospital that are taking this waiver. So it's, like I said, in, in healthcare, generally change happens pretty slow. Um, but in this case, we definitely had both the financial and like philosophical uh, motivation to, to, to take advantage of these types of innovative programs. So it's been exciting to see them grow. And I imagine in the, in the next couple of years, we'll see even more research and data looking at outcomes and cost reduction than we have. But to go back a little bit, like Brigham did uh, two RCTs and were the first in the home hospital space. And the more recent one back in 2020, um, you know, really showed that there was a cost reduction that the um, like adjusted mean cost of the acute care episode was 38% lower for home patients um, or home hospital patients than control patients um, who were in the hospital. And that's looking just at direct cost. So meaning like, you know, the, physician, non-physician labor, supplies, medications, testing, but that's not even looking at the like opportunity cost of opening up beds for more patients that are sicker that may bill higher and those types of uh, cost savings. So I, I think there's a lot of data already that is very supportive of, you know, cost reduction uh, opportunities and such for home hospital. Um, but I imagine in the coming years with all these new programs, there's gonna be way more. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is Carolyn Yang, MD, attending physician home hospital program at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. So, and you had mentioned that these, you know, it was allowed to open up these services at the same rate as inpatient. So, obviously, with a 38% relative cost. I would assume at some point we can, you know, we can see these costs come down by using services like that. Yeah, I imagine. And I think, you know, a real big factor in that is reimbursement. And we have gotten lucky with the CMS waiver. But again, that is technically only going to last till the end of the public health emergency, which has been pushed, um, you know, as we know, uh, quite a bit. And so, it does look like, you know, come July, that there may be an end to the waiver. And so there's a lot of advocacy happening around trying to extend it so that it can give us some time to really put together a good policy that will 
last and hopefully be permanent so that different home hospital programs can continue to be sustainable. Um, and so I think, you know, different home hospital programs will come up because it's financially sustainable. And I think that's going to be the biggest barrier to getting more programs. And I, I really hope that losing the waiver, if it ends up worst case scenario, that we don't have a lot of programs um, kind of dissolve. And, and I do think that may be an unintended consequence of, of that loss. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it makes sense to keep that moving forward and, and allow that option of service, particularly if it can, it can generate, you know, similar or better outcomes at a reduced cost. It's the way to go for sure. We've been, you know, you talked about changes slow in healthcare and Greg and I have been sitting here for quite a long time with that mantra, you know, trying to see when are we going to flip the switch on this baby? And, and so it's nice to see things like this. Uh, approximately, you talked about efficiencies. Approximately how many patients do you have at any given time in home hospital? Yeah. So in our, um, current situation, we are seeing about 15 to 16 patients a day. Um, and, you know, with discharges and admitting, that's t- typically where we sit. So we're taking like one to three new patients a day. Um, and then, you know, like a typical hospital discharging, you know, here and there. Uh, so we're generally taking care of 15 to 16. But just like, like I said, you know, 18, 24 months ago, we were looking at maybe an average daily census of like three to five. Um, so it's, it's really grown quite a bit. And I imagine, you know, our Ambitious goals for the entire NGB system, the Mass General Brigham system, um, is very ambitious and will really expand, you know, the amount of patients that we care for at home. Um, and so hopefully, like with the right tech solutions and financial support from the organization, we will be able to make that happen. And again, it won't be just with Brigham, you know, it will be a joint effort of Brigham and Mass General and maybe Newton Wellesley and Salem Hospital. So we're really trying to get on that now to, to grow what we can offer in terms of home-based care. Right, I was wondering too, um, you know, this whole issue of equity. And, you know, when you think about home hospital, obviously there are certain requirements for a home. And do you see ways, or are you beginning to look at how you might address those inequalities? Yeah, so I think, it's a multifaceted issue. I think technology um, dissolving inequities in healthcare is ha- has arguments on both sides. I think you know, obviously, technology people don't have to leave their home if they do. You know, this idea of telehealth um, and providing care where the patient is at via technology does increase access. I think that's absolutely number one. But I also think that technology requires you to have good internet access. For you to have, you know, um, good connection, for you to have the best technology available to you in terms of a phone or a computer to make that uh, equitable for all those who are on the receiving end of digital health or digital health solutions or telehealth. And so I think that on that side, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to ensure that those challenges are addressed and that the needs of those who are less um, fortunate to afford technology solutions, um, you know, that, that those people are not ignored. And so I think that, yes, technology can meet people where they're at and it can help provide care to those who maybe don't typically, you know, have the means to meet you where you're at at the hospital or in the clinic. 
as a provider, um, that you can meet them where they're at in their home or on the street or in, in, in the car or wherever. Um, and, uh, and it allows people who maybe work three jobs and, you know, just need to hop out to the break room and, and take a telehealth visit. Like, I think, you know, that's, that is the challenge, but also the blessing and opportunity that exists within delivering care with different technology solutions. And as far as home hospital goes, I mean, we really don't discriminate. We, we will take anybody who comes through the doors of the emergency room or who's in the hospital, and we don't look at anything beyond those criteria that I mentioned earlier in terms of geography. And, and it is challenging. Like we, we would love to deliver care to the homeless, but there's just no safe way to do it. Um, so I do think there's limitations, but I think that overall on the whole, we are serving, you know, this issue of health equity in a positive way. So as you look at this equity issue, obviously, you know, you look to get technology into the home and there are different ways to do that. But are there, you know, I imagine, you know, there may be certain home environments where you'd need to go in and just actually clean the house to provide a safe bed, a clean bed and things like that. Do you look at things like that or, or, or uh, provide food service in home, et cetera, as part of the program? Totally. So we do our best beyond the four walls of their home, which we do rely on the patient to provide. Um, we do provide additional supplementary services like meal delivery. And it doesn't have to be for someone who doesn't have access to food, but we help with people who don't have access to the right food. So for patients who have heart failure um, and they're being admitted for a flare or an exacerbation, and they don't have anything but canned soup at home, we will provide, you know, delivery to their homes of the food um, from, you know, contracted uh, organizations that can provide um, that type of food like community servings or um, other groups. We also provide home health aids to provide additional assistance in the home. And while we don't provide them for the purpose of home cleaning, uh, sometimes, you know, if there is a small need that will really enhance their medical care, we will do, you know, they, they are able to provide, you know, those services. Mm -hmm. And what's been the response from the patient so far? Oh, my gosh. Every time they come back to the hospital, where's home hospital? Like, you know, can you can you call them? I think a lot of them love being at home, being with their families, especially with the pandemic. Um, both on the front of inpatients not often having the ability to have visitors or the visitor policy changing all the time. Um, that is a big plus for them to be able to be with the ones that care for them and that they feel comfortable with. It helps them feel better being at home, eating their own food. Um, that meets their cultural needs too. I think that's a huge thing that goes back to the health equity and, and cultural sensitivity is seeing that everyone's diet is different at home than it is in the laboratory of a hospital that we have, right? We, we get to control when they get their medications. We control, you know, what they eat. We control, you know, how much activity they get. It's, it's like a laboratory. And so no wonder we get, you know, relatively satisfying results when we can control all those things compared to in the home when we do leave our patients to uh, really be autonomous and make those decisions with our support, but they're still eating their home foods. They're still 
you know, relying on their home supports to help them take their medications and not relying on us to be there to remind them at every moment what to do. So do you have or have you seen much of, well, they were in home hospital, but we got to bring them in? Yes. So we definitely have patients that they are uh, doing okay and appropriate for home hospital when they come to us. But as everyone knows, different conditions evolve differently. And sometimes people get worse or something that we couldn't have predicted happens and they do need a higher level of care um, and more acute attention. And in those cases, we will take somebody back to the emergency room and either they get, you know, a, a quick acute treatment in the ED and come back to us or they get admitted back to the hospital and we may or may not take them home once they're stable again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in terms of the quadruple aim, for you as a physician, What's been the physician response to this? Yeah, I think a lot of us who are in the home hospital program choose it because we really are invested in delivering the best care for the you know, right patient um, at the right place in the right time. And so the, the hospital may be and often is the best place for a, for a patient at a given moment. But there are patients that are in the hospital that actually would be equally or better served at home. And so I think that the physicians, the nurses, the EMTs are all really invested in that goal of meeting the patient where they're at, when they're ready and when they're appropriate. Um, And I think that the traditional model has not allowed that to even be an option. Before it was, well, if you require IV medicines, even if it's once a day, or you're just waiting for a test, um, that you really should stay monitored for, uh, that you need to stay in hospital because there's no other option. And I, I think that this is great because it gives that other option that may actually be more appropriate for the patient. Um, and so as we've seen over the years, there are patients that are um, not appropriate at a given time, but as we have more capabilities, more staffing, then they do become appropriate. So I think moving forward, we're going to really see a growth in what capabilities home hospitals have. (laughs) Well, Caroline, it's been a pleasure to have you on Pop Health Week. Uh, It's really nice to see this kind of innovation going on and hearing how it's worked and also recognizing there are things that we obviously have to continue to work on. So thanks so much for joining us on Pop Health Week. No problem. My pleasure. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Carolyn Yang, MD, attending physician home health program at Brigham and Women's Hospital for her time and insights today. Do follow Dr. Yang's work on Twitter via at Brigham HMU, at MassGenBrigham, and at Brigham Women's, respectively, and on the web via www.homehospital.bwh.harvard.com. Edu. And finally, if you're enjoying our work at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice. Do share with your colleagues and consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. We live stream on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays, 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern 
And for you Love Coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. Bye now. Bye now.